The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 31 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two exciting episodes of I Was a Communist for the FBI, starring Dana Andrews. We'll begin after this short break. In 1941, the FBI asked American citizen Matt Savetic to work undercover for the United States government by joining the Communist Party and reporting back on their activities. After emerging in 1950 to testify before Congress about his experiences, Savetic's exploits were soon chronicled in magazines, on the silver screen, and in a taut and entertaining radio series based on his real-life adventures. The 1951 film, I Was a Communist for the FBI, starred Frank Lovejoy. The success of the film spawned a radio series starring Dana Andrews, which ran from April 23, 1952 until October 14, 1953. The film and radio show are, in part, artifacts of the McCarthy era, as well as a time capsule of American society during the Second Red Scare. The purpose of both is partly to warn people about the threat of communist subversion of American society. The tone of the show was ultra-patriotic, with communists portrayed as racist, vindictive, and tools of a totalitarian foreign power, the Soviet Union. The radio series was syndicated by Frederick W. Ziv to more than 600 radio stations and had the cooperation of the FBI. Real-life undercover agent Matt Savetic dealt with great stress as he covertly infiltrated a local Communist Party cell. There were many personal and family problems caused by his being a communist, as well as a certain amount of mental torment. Svetic worked tirelessly to uncover communist plans and to help the FBI thwart them, while avoiding the snares the party set for informants within their ranks. Time now for the first of two espionage adventures of I Was a Communist for the FBI, starring Dana Andrews. In this first one, a game of gin rummy en route to Buffalo leads to a microfilm scheme to get secrets to the communists. Here's Card Game in the Clouds on I Was a Communist for the FBI. The FBI show number seven, opening A. I was a communist for the FBI. Starring Dana Andrews in an exciting tale of danger and espionage, I was a communist for the FBI.
Many of the incidents in the story you are about to hear are based on the actual records and authentic experiences of Matt Sebetic, who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Sebetic. Nine years. Nine nervous years. Always looking over my shoulder. Because if I didn't, my head might roll when I didn't want it to. Years of isolation and tension. Being alone in crowds of comrades. A long, hectic dream. But now that it's over, the dream is more real than ever. For all of us now. In a moment, listen to Dana Andrews as Matt Savetic, Undercover Man. Dana Andrews as Matt Sabetic, Undercover Man. This story from the confidential file is marked Card Game in the Clouds. The federal courtroom is jammed. There's no stir and no sound in the room except the voice of the attorney for the federal government making his opening to the court. Everybody in the room knows that this matters. This is important. This is part of an enormous struggle for our survival. We listen spellbound. And we shall present witnesses whose testimony will prove beyond any shadow of a reasonable doubt that these defendants, all members of the Communist Party, have been guilty of sedition, seeking the overthrow of the United States government by force and by force of arms if need be. We are ready to proceed, Your Honor. Are you ready to leave, Mr. Zvedic? Who are you? Come with me. Give me one good reason and maybe I will. Revchenko wants you. Revchenko? Not so loud. Headquarters? Certainly not. I'm to telephone Revchenko that I've found you. He'll pick us up at a spot that I'll designate. You must be quite a gal with the party. I am. We'd better go. Revchenko is an impatient man. <laughs> Comrade Sovetic, you know that we wish to know at all times where our comrades are and what they're doing. You seem to know where I was, Comrade Revchenko. Only because you were seen in the courtroom by a comrade. I've been looking all morning for you. Ah, so the lady tells me. The lady is Comrade Laura Black. Comrade? Comrade. Well, I'm ready for orders. When we reach the city limits, this automobile may have been wired by the FBI. We will abandon it to talk. Interesting problem, comrade? When we leave the car, comrade. Here, this will do. I'm about tired of walking in fields. Well, comrade? Comrade Laura, I'm out of breath. Begin for me, if you will, and be direct. Comrades Vetic, you and I will meet a plane at Municipal Airport tonight. The plane is from Washington, D.C. Oh, oh. I will meet a man coming off the plane. What about me? You will stay in the background. The man will give me a portfolio, which we will deliver to a comrade in New York City. The Park Lowell Hotel. You will take the night train. Does it take two? 
If one of you is detained, shall we say, the other must get through with the briefcase at all costs. Should I know the contents of the briefcase? No. Simply follow orders and to the letter. And the letter is? Exactly. You are to report to a Mr. Penrose at the Park Lowell Hotel tomorrow night, no later. Mr. Penrose has made elaborate and delicate plans for leaving the country Friday night. With the briefcase? Of course. Suppose Laura and I become separated and she has the briefcase. Do I report to Mr. Penrose anyhow? Yes. Empty-handed? Yes. Okay. A good stroke, huh, comrade? Our executing this audacious move during the communist trials when the FBI expects us all to scurry into hiding. Oh, yeah. It's a good time for us to move. You have a revolver, Savetic? Yes. Take it with you. Take all orders from Comrade Laura. Is that all? See to it that one of you succeeds in getting the information in that briefcase to New York. That is all. Mr. Oxford, please. Who's calling, Mr. Oxford? Cambridge. This is Oxford. Go ahead. The boys dragged me out of the federal courthouse this morning for an assignment with all the romantic gingerbread. Mysterious gal, briefcase by plane from Washington, D.C. Gun told Hold it. Hold it. Yeah? Where did you say you're calling from? Pay station, drugstore, 12th and Main. Fool with a sandwich there, and I'll pick you up in exactly 10 minutes. Sound big to you, too, Oxford? Ten minutes. The FBI has been waiting for this chance for a long time, Matt. This looks like it. It felt important the second that gal tagged me. Vital information leaks have been occurring in Washington a lot too frequently. We've wanted to know how the commies do it. This looks like a look-in on one of their methods. This could be my big moment. It's peculiar. Why do they want you to report to this Mr. Penrose Friday night, even if you don't have the briefcase with you? For discipline, I suppose. That's what worries me. Matt, we want you to deliver that briefcase. <laughs> Believe me, I want to deliver it, too. If only as a personal health measure. Keep in touch all the way, Matt. Uh, stay with me, boy, huh? We will. We'll be with you at the train, sort of. I pick up Laura at 6. We drive to the airport and wait for flight 695 from Washington, D.C., the taxi to gate 5. A tall man in a flapping top coat and dark glasses steps out of the plane. He's carrying a briefcase. I crowd the wire fence for a good look, but the girl pushes ahead of me and faces me. Her eyes are cold toward me, but I sense an inner excitement in her manner that I'm not the guy that's exciting her. Please go inside and wait for me. Why can't I meet the gentleman from across the Potomac? Do as I say, please. You're pretty set on my not seeing your boy up close. And you're set on seeing him close. Why? Just being a good party member is all. More like one of those contemptible FBI plants who are going to testify at the trial. How does that figure? That's a rough remark, Laura. Then please don't intrude until you're needed. Now go. Yes, Sergeant.
I go inside and wait, doing a slow burn and starting to worry a little. Five minutes later, another plane is announced departing for Washington, and Laura comes into the waiting room with the briefcase. She also has a smudge of lipstick on her cheek. Thank you for waiting. Where's the watch on the Potomac? He's on the way back to Washington. I, uh, I'd be glad to carry your school books for you. Thank you, but I'll carry the briefcase. Wait here. Again? I'll pick up our plane reservations. I thought you said we were taking the train. We were. Now we're not. That can be confusing. I mean it to be confusing. Well, you made it, sister. No objections? I don't like to be treated like the bourgeois rich relative while I'm an accredited and trusted member of the party. Unless maybe you don't trust me. I don't know, do you? Do you trust me? Let's say I trust comrade Laura Black. But plain Laura Black, who isn't plain at all and with a smudge of lipstick on her cheek, may be something else again. Warren and I happen to be in love. Oh, Warren, is it? And you'll forget it, do you hear? The tender passion and the party. Is hmm. it quite all right with you? The question is, is it all right with the party? The answer is that if we weren't in love, he wouldn't be doing this for me and the party. Flight 802 for Buffalo is now loading at gate 7. Well, I'd better hurry and pick up our reservations. No hurry. That's 802 for Buffalo. Yes, that's for us. We're going to New York. By way of Buffalo. Why? You'll see. Passengers for flight 802 for Buffalo, please board your plane at... You wait here. I'll get the tickets. I look around for a telephone booth. I've got to let the FBI know that I'm flying to Buffalo tonight instead of training out to New York. All the phone booths are filled and people are waiting except at one where a soldier is talking and smiling in pantomime behind the glass door. Come on, soldier, I'm next. Ring off, hang up. Because if that briefcase that Laura Black carries under her arm gets to Moscow, it may wipe that smile off your face for good and for a lot of other guys like you. He keeps on talking. There's the telegraph counter. I go to the counter and scrawl a message and hand it to the clerk, just as Laura Black's hand reaches past me and takes the yellow blank out of my hand. May I, Matt? You may not. Oh, private? And personal, and you're getting pretty personal with my privacy. There's no such things in our lives, is there? Go ahead, read it. Mrs. Vettick. My mother. Who is Mr. Oxford? A prospect of mine. What kind of prospect? Insurance. I sell insurance as a front as well as a livelihood. I've got to live while I'm serving the party. You tell your mother to phone this Mr. Oxford at Crest 2211 and tell him you're flying to Buffalo tonight. Right. Why? Mother expected Mr. Oxford and me for dinner tonight before I took the train. I want him to know my plans have changed, that we can't dine together tonight. Crest 2211. That's right. Why not telephone him? The booths are full. No, they aren't. They were a minute ago. Better still, let me telephone him. What for? Well, you think I'm your secretary. It does make an impression. Oh, no, not with smaller investors. They, they feel somehow it runs up the cost to them. Oh, I'll know how to talk to Mr. Oxford. You wait here. No, Laura, no. Wait there. Oh, no. I'll wait if it kills me. And if Laura makes that call and they tell her there's no such person there, I'll wait. I've got to. I've got nothing to lose but everything.
Now back to Dana Andrews, starring in I Was a Communist for the FBI, and the second act of our story. Laura Black goes to the telephone booth and stops there, fumbling for a coin. I shove the telegraph blank at the clerk again and hand her two dollars and start after Laura. If she phones Crest 2211, the unlisted FBI number, there won't be a Mr. Oxford there, not for her. If Laura Black calls and doesn't get Oxford, she'll be more suspicious than ever. I'll be in trouble then. I reach her side just as she finds a coin in her purse. I thought I told you to wait for me. Well, I, I saw you needed some change. I but... have it now, thank you. Excuse me. Well, Laura, look... This is the last call for wait. passengers for flight 802 to Buffalo. Now ready to oh, depart. Oh, dear. Oh, never mind. It's all right. Oxford will understand. Well, we'd better hurry. We mustn't miss connections with our man in Buffalo. Come on. <laughs> plane, Laura and I play canasta with cards furnished by the stewardess. The briefcase on her lap serves as a table. On her lap. Somehow, I've never even touched the leather portfolio. So far, I'm excess baggage on this assignment, and I don't like it. We play indifferently at first, idly. Then, as the coveted stack of cards on the briefcase grows larger, the play grows tense and watchful. Strangely, some enormous stakes seem in the balance. Our playing is careful and charged. Hmm. Stuck? All out of wild cards? Well, I may have a throwaway or two left. Sure, fatten the pile for me to take. You don't want the pile, do you? You're ready to go out. Okay, I'm ready to go out. Agreeable monster, aren't you? Play. I just can't help it. I gotta give you the deck. There. Hmm. I don't know. All at once, the innocent card game in the clouds is a clue to another, more sinister game that lovely Laura Black is playing. She's trying to keep me in the deal until she can raise her score just enough to win. It's like putting me on an important job for the commies so that the FBI won't want to call me off that job even to testify at the trial. If that's the game, then they know I'm an FBI spy. Or do they? For a long time, I stare at my cards unseeingly. A long time. What's the matter, Matt? Hmm, what? Make up your mind. We're coming into Buffalo. All right. I'm not going to bite. You refuse all those juicy points? Yes, I'm going out. <laughs> Operator. Oh, operator, I was connected with my party long distance. There's no time to... Hello? Hello? Oxford? We were cut off. You say you were calling from Buffalo Airport? Yes, and I want to know if you heard from my mother. I wired her to call you. She called. I recognized her voice and got your message. I wanted to be covered here in Buffalo. Don't worry. Where's the girl? Getting plane reservations for New York now. Go ahead, then. Look, does this make sense or am I getting in an uproar? I just got a brainwave that the Reds know I'm FBI and are letting me string along here so they won't call me to testify. Or am I screwy? No, you're not. It makes sense, Matt. What do I do? Play the game out to the finish, that's all. Stay with me, fellas. Stay with me, huh? 
On that, you can depend. I've got to ring off. Here comes the gal. So long. So long. Buffalo American Products Corporation. Baxter and Baxter Law Offices. Fantas and Arbogast. Stop here. May I help you? Yes. Will you tell Mr. Arbogast that Miss Black is here? Oh, yes, Miss Black. He's expecting you. Go right in. Thank you. Will you wait out here, Matt? What else have I got to do? Give me your revolver, please. What? Your revolver. Why? Because I asked for it. Don't you trust me with a gun? Perhaps I don't trust Mr. Arbogast without a gun. I have definite orders from Revchenko to go armed. You have definite orders from him to take orders from me. Your gun, please. All right. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Thank you. Wait here. I sit in the small waiting room of Fantas and Arbogast advertising, waiting. The typewriter thumps louder. My heart begins to stumble crazily. A needling perspiration chills my whole body. Panic takes charge. I stand up. Get out of here. Run for it. If I did, would that crisp piquet blouse reach for a gun and start shooting? Nonsense. That best girlfriend of the bride wouldn't shoot anybody. But I don't try to go out. Thanks for waiting. It's been a joy. Here's your revolver. Thanks. Come on. I thought you were making plane reservations to New York. How come the bus? The object is to deceive. Deceive who? The FBI. Yeah? Just for example. Good example. Well, you know they have stool pigeons among us. Yes. Then why do you ask such stupid questions? I happen to be stupid. I wonder. I'm especially stupid about that gun in the waiting room. We won't discuss it. All right. You do all the talking. I want to go to sleep now. I'll take care of that briefcase for you, if you like. I'll take care of it, thank you. Good night, Mr. Svetik. Matt. Hmm? Matt, it's gone. Huh? The briefcase is gone. What? Shh, shh. When? I don't know. I thought you might be able to tell me. Well, I was fast asleep. I... I mean, what kind of a lopsided remark do you call never that? Never mind, anyhow? never mind. Never mind. You sit there and imply that well, I we may... We both can't sit here and argue about it. What are we supposed to do about it? Well, I'll have to go back and report to Rivchenko. And then call Washington. See if you can get a new set of data? Yes. You go on to New York. Without the briefcase? We haven't got it, have we? What happens to me? Arriving empty-handed. It'll be worse if you disobey orders. Hold the door, driver. I'm getting off here. Laura is gone. The briefcase is gone. And we're underway again. In the gloom of the bus, I check the chambers of my gun. 
A gun is still loaded. That's something. And another thing is that I'm still safe. It's still dark when we roll into New York. I go to the hotel. There's a note waiting for me. Meet me, Pier 11, East River, urgent. No signature. I go outside. My throat is dry, but my palms are moist. Meet whom? Why, on a dark, lonely waterfront? Taxi! The bulldog edition of a paper on the driver's seat. The headline says, FBI plant takes stand against accused Reds today. Now. Now, if the Reds suspect me, they can knock me off. And no bearing on the case, whatever. Here goes. Pier 11. The darkest hour before dawn. Waiting behind a stack of packing cases. Waiting. Steps. I slip my revolver from my shoulder holster, slip the safety catch, and wait. A beam of light spears my eyes and I go blind. Blind and wild and my finger tugs at the trigger. Nothing happens. The gun won't fire. Hold it, Svetty. Who, who is it? One of the cartridges might be good. Oh, Oxford. Yeah, I'll take the gun now. You left that note in my box. Sure, I didn't know if you or your comrade contact would check in first. In fact, I couldn't be sure it was you until just now. You can get killed that way. Mm, not with your gun. It's full of blanks. Blanks? Well, that, that's why Laura took my gun away. Now I'll take it, Matt. They do suspect me, then. Mm, if they did, they wouldn't have loaded your gun with blanks. I don't get it. I give up. Our agents checked all landings at Buffalo until they latched onto you and Comrade Laura. They tailed you to Fantas and Arbogast. Advertising. Go on. After you left, we picked up Arbogast on a long-standing illegal immigration rap. They can't possibly connect his arrest with you. And while we were there, we found out that Fantas and Arbogast advertising is a cover for a microfilming laboratory up there. That uh, tiny, tiny film thing? Tiny enough to roll up and fit into a cartridge emptied of powder. And the lead replaced, yeah. Are you telling me they microfilmed the stuff on that briefcase and put it into the cartridges of my gun? Huh? Here they are. And they didn't go off, did they? I'm in trouble. Comrade Laura never lost the briefcase on that bus. Our agents were on board watching. She slipped it to a Confederate while you slept. We let them. We'll get them in Washington when they try to put the data back in the files. Yeah, and I'm in trouble. I've got to go back to the hotel and give Mr. Penrose, whoever he is, my gun with those microfilm bullets in it. Right. You've got it. Here's your gun back. Well, what about the bullets? It's got bullets with doctored microfilm in them. I've reloaded your gun with FBI prepared ammunition. It'll make the Kremlin very, very happy with you, Matt. And it won't do them any good at all. <laughs> <laughs> Feel better? Uh, clever, you bourgeois bloodhounds. Oh, we got to be, or we'd all be in the doghouse. Get going, Matt. You don't want to keep the Kremlin waiting. I leave Pier 11 feeling great, exhilarated. 
The card game in the clouds has come down to earth with plenty of inside stuff for high stakes. And I've won. And then, I think, no, the game isn't over yet. I've just won the deal. The long gamble is still ahead of me. And when the final chips are down, I'll be on my own. I'm a communist for the FBI. I walk alone. Our star, Dana Andrews, will return in a moment. This is Dana Andrews with a word about the story you've just heard. In this story, as in all others, names, dates, and places are fictitious to protect innocent persons. Many of these stories are based on incidents in the life of Matt Savetic, who worked undercover for the FBI. Next week, another fantastic adventure. Join us, won't you? And that's I Was a Communist for the FBI with Card Game in the Clouds, starring Dana Andrews from May 11, 1952. Also heard in the cast, William Conrad with Truman Bradley announcing. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month, along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 Classic Radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another exciting spy drama on I Was a Communist for the FBI for you after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, Matt Savetic is sent to a hospital for arrest and to murder a man from the FBI. Here's 15 Minutes to Murder, starring Dana Andrews in I Was a Communist for the FBI. I Was a Communist for the FBI. (laughs) 
Starring Dana Andrews and an exciting tale of danger and espionage, I was a communist for the FBI. From the actual records and authentic experiences of Matt Savetic, come many of the incidents in this unusual story. Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Savetic, who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. For nine phantasmal years, I was the man who looked into the dark mirror and wondered, which is the reflection and which is me? For nine years, I lived my double life so intensely that sometimes I wondered, which is the real Savetic? What is reality and what is the dream? It's over now. It all fades back into memory and merciful unreality. It's hard to believe it happened. So fantastic, so stunning were the events and their implications. Sometimes I wonder, is it really over, or is this a lull in the nightmare? In a moment, listen to Dana Andrews as Matt Sabatic, Undercover Man. Dana Andrews as Matt Savetic, Undercover Man. This story from the confidential file is marked 15 Minutes to Murder. I've been out of sorts for weeks, and I know what it is. The steady, grinding burden of intrigue and vigilance and double dealing, and just plain, raw, unvarnished fear are getting me down. I go to a doctor, and he tells me exactly what I want to hear. At last, I have a good, legitimate reason to be excused temporarily from party duty. I make my routine telephone check-in with my chief, Comrade Revchenko, from a pay telephone full of the glad news from my doctor. Nothing right now except continue with your routine duties until further notified. About those routine duties... And be a little more prompt in reporting. Well, I can explain that delay. I've been to my doctor. Why? There's nothing serious. Routine checkup. He did say I ought to take a rest. I see. You wouldn't want me to go haywire in the middle of an assignment, would you? Did he find anything wrong with you? Well, nothing serious, really. Oh. I could go back and have him pin a stiff cardiac wrap on me. That'll make you any happier. What did the doctor discover? A little high blood pressure, but that's only... Good enough. What? Report to headquarters at once. Look, I'm supposed to take it easy just Report to headquarters. The doctor said... At once. At once. Sit down, Comrade Savetic. Before we go much further, I ought to point out... Point out nothing until I finish, Comrade. I'm sorry. I've been doing some work while you were on your way over here. Concerning me? I have rearranged matters to provide for you, yes. Provide for me? You need a rest, Comrade. I could use one. I have arranged everything. Oh, how do you mean? Arranged what? A private room at Angel of Mercy Hospital... Well, look, I'm not really sick. You need a rest in bed. Well... I had assigned somebody else to this, but your mild hypertensive condition makes you more logical for the job. Oh, it's work then? A rest in bed, at party expense. 
We expect some return for our generosity, and complete idleness would soon bore you. Good enough. What's the job? Directly across the street from the room I've reserved for you, some 200 feet away, is the back of a row of fashionable apartment houses. Oh, yeah, I know the place. From your bed, you will keep a constant lookout on one of those apartments. Which apartment is marked on this simple diagram? Mm, uh, Twelfth floor. All five windows. Mm -hmm. And you will need this pocket telescope, small enough to keep on your person. Allow nobody to realize that you are watching the apartment. What's the object? Oh, shouldn't I ask? You should very definitely know, comrade. We are out of patience with the FBI. Oh? Tired of their spying, tired of their undercover burrowing into the very core of our party apparatus. It is time we serve notice that this is war and that espionage and war is punishable by extreme measures. Well, then the man I'm watching is an FBI spy? Study every move he makes. He knows he's a marked man. He does not expose himself where we can punish him. That's understandable. Now repeat this number after me. Shoot. Elmwood 41137. Elmwood 41137. Again. Elmwood 41137. Mark nothing down. Of course not. Watch the apartment. Notice Benedict's actions. Well, that's his name then, huh? Benedict? Call it that. Go ahead. Report to Elmwood 41137 closely. It may take a week or two weeks or a month, but keep at it. What may take that long, exactly? For Benedict to decide it's safe to leave his stronghold. When he does, give our men half an hour's notice. They will do the rest. Check. Informers and contemptible stool pigeons. Time they squirmed. What else? That's it. Everything's prepared for you. All right, I'll pick up a few things and report at the hospital. Savetic. Yes? We will leave for the hospital directly from here. I'll come back here, then. We are leaving from here immediately. But I... Secrecy, comrade Savetic, secrecy. Absolute and impenetrable secrecy. We will go to the hospital from here in a car I have waiting for us. They are all over the FBI spies and informers. You seem disturbed, comrade. Uh, it's just this. I'm to be the accessory to a man's murder. An FBI informer? Some vacation. You did not join the party to sip pink lemonade, comrade. In the hospital, you will under no circumstances attempt to contact the party. Do you understand? I understand. It is out of our hands. Whatever occurs must be credited to the ordinary underworld retaliation. Yes. Forget us. Simply call Elmwood 41337. 1137, isn't it? <laughs> Just testing. We will go now. We walk several blocks and hesitate at a corner to be picked up by a nondescript car driven by a man I've never seen before. Silence. All the way to the Angel of Mercy Hospital. Absolute silence. I'm being whisked away to a private hospital room secretly, incommunicado, to spy on another FBI undercover man like myself and send him to his death. And I can't even get to a telephone to call my FBI contact and report what's happening. I've got to report to them. I've got to get to the FBI. All I get is to the hospital, though. Revchenko stands by wordlessly while the registrar checks me into my room, 1216. Then he goes, and I'm on my own, isolated, marooned. 
Can I get you anything, Mr. Svetik? Oh, thank you, nurse. Dr. Anatole will be in to see you soon. Who? Well, your doctor, Dr. Anatole. Fine. He'll be in directly. Okay, he'll be in in a flash. Oh, you're not going to be a bad patient, are you now? Oh, I'm just going to be the sweetest thing ever happened to this little old temple of mercy. You don't have to be cross, do you? I want to be left alone. Just as you say, Mr. Svetik. Absolute minimum of solicitous attention. What are you angry at me for? I'm not angry at you. Oh, I'm sorry, Ness. I'm not angry at you. I know you're you're nervous and upset, but... Oh, nurse. We'll take care of that, though, won't we? Well, just remember, I'm not mad at you. Oh, is the telephone connected? Oh, yes. Go right ahead and use it. Dr. Anato will be right in. The second I'm alone, I take the pocket scope from under my pillow and peer out the window. Across 200 feet of street and a backyard terrace to the rear of those stylish apartment buildings. I pick out Benedict's suite. That's it, all right. A sportsman's apartment. Rifles on racks. Hunting trophies on every wall. Cups and other trophies on a mantelpiece. I reach for the telephone. Communique number one. I feel sick. Your order, please. Elmwood 41137. Thank you. Never mind the opera. Elmwood 41137? Yeah. I'm in. Oh, yeah. You know who's talking, don't you? Keep talking. You may have to move fast. Move fast is what we do best. Stay close to the phone now. I got a permanent poker game right in the room. That's all for now. Check. Now. Your order, please. Evergreen 65542. Thank you. The FBI. Somehow, somehow I've got to let them know where I am at least, and what I'm up to, and what one of their boys is in for. Driscoll, that's my contact's code name. I'm O'Neill. Driscoll. O'Neill. Driscoll. O'Neill. Driscoll. Oh, come on, answer. Get with it, boys. Get on the ball. Hello? Oh, Driscoll? Driscoll, please, right away. Driscoll. Driscoll, right away. Hurry. There's nobody by that name here. Yes, there is, I tell you. Who is this? O'Neill. Tell him I'm O'Neill. He'll know. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is Driscoll. Who? Go ahead. How's your mother? Fine. How's yours? I know that voice on the wire isn't Driscoll. Then who is it? I have to reach the FBI. I don't know what I've got on the line got to take a chance. Calculated risk. I've got to stay on the phone. If I am talking to the FBI, I've got to talk a gibberish that makes some kind of sense to them and sounds harmless enough to anybody who might be tapping my wire. Maybe this guy who says he's Driscoll is the wiretap. I don't know. I've got to play it cozy, but I've got to play. Hello? Hello, are you there, O'Neill? You know, uh, I was just thinking, Driscoll. Yeah? Those mysterious telephone calls your wife's been getting, some crank or something. Yeah? 
The next time this bum calls, why doesn't she play up to him and have her sister run next door and have the cops trace the call? We had exactly the same idea. That's what we're going to do. Well, have her keep him on the line long enough, though. I know. Well, that way the cops can trace the call and close in on Mr. Mysterious. That sounds very conspiratorial. What? Oh. Hello? Somebody just walked in. I am Dr. Anatole. Who? I think you'd best ring off for now. Oh, I feel all right. Better hang up. Sure. So long, chum. I've got to ring off. Yeah? You should not have a telephone until a staff physician examines you and decides you may have one. I'm all right, doctor. Then why are you here? Oh, just a little hypertension, that's all. You should not have a telephone until I have okayed it. I'm surprised. Now, if you'll cooperate, I shall examine you. to Dana Andrews, starring as Matt Sivetic in I Was a Communist for the FBI and the second act of our story. How much did Dr. Anatole hear? What does he know beside medicine? I'm afraid of that mucilaginous voice and that cold, nothing smile of his. Is he there to watch me? That phone made him pretty mad in his cold-blooded way. Or maybe I'm imagining it. I don't know. In my position, I've got to assume that the walls have ears and that a strange voice that isn't Driscoll's could be a trap. Meanwhile, I've got to study Benedict across the way, find out when he gets up, when he has his meals brought in, how much time he spends on his two telephones. He never goes out. But when he gets up his nerve to try it, he's dead. And I will have killed him indirectly. And it looks close now. Your order, please. Elmwood 41137. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah? Any time now. Oh, it's you. I hate to disturb your poker game. What's the matter? It's you. Never mind. Wise guy. Stand by to go on fast notice. Yeah, I'm all tensed up. I mean it. Listen, what are we kids? We know what to do. All right, then. Not you stupid or something? He's taking stuff off the walls and packing them. That means he's ready to go. When he goes, we'll come. All right, stand by. Check. That's all. I keep watching Benedict. All the signs point to his making a break for it. I think of taking a chance on the pretty nurse, who looks too crisp and fresh to be a comrade. But how does one know? Send her with a sealed note to the FBI address? Or no, write a note and send it through the mails. Maybe special delivery. That's it. Take a chance, that's all. Take a chance that whoever I give the letter to, to mail, is on the level. Everybody can't be a spy. But it only takes one. I'll do it. Oh, nurse. Oh, nurse. Yes, Mr. Steady. 
I might have a letter for you to mail. When do you go off duty? At four o'clock, Mr. Svedek. All right, I'll have it ready for you at, uh... No. What? Never mind. Forget it. Never mind. Well, uh... all right, Mr. Svedek. Just as you say. Too late. I waited too long, hesitating, being scared. Because I can see that Benedict across the street is getting ready to clear out. By the time the nurse got to the FBI headquarters, it'd be all over anyhow. I've got to report to Rev Chenko's goon squad. I don't want to. I've got to. And then, maybe figure some way out for Benedict. And for myself, too. Elmwood 411. I've got to. Hello? Your order, please. Elmwood. Hello. Elmwood 41137. Thank you. No. I can't do it. I won't. Good afternoon, Mr. Savetter. Anatole. Or Dr. Anatole. I... I didn't hear you. Perhaps you were preoccupied. Miss Christopher says you seemed quite upset a moment ago. Who? Who? Your nurse. Upset? Something about changing your mind about some letter. (laughs) Oh, that. That small affair of the heart, you know. That's probably for me, Savetic surgery. Yes. For you. Thank you. Yes? I had your party for you when you hung up, Mr. Svetic. Well, I, I don't think I... Go I... right ahead, Savetic. Don't mind me. Oh, operator, I don't yeah. want... Yeah. Hello? Oh, you again. Hold on just a second, will you? Thanks. Will you excuse me, doctor? Oh, of course. I'll come back later. Hello? Uh, talk up, sport. Talk up. I can't. Somebody may be listening outside. Oh, uh, what is it now? He's ready to leave. Oh, okay. Give it to me fast, then. He's wearing a light gray suit with a gray tweed topcoat and a pearl gray snap brim hat. I figure he'll be out any time now, so better to get there early than late. Gray suit, gray tweed topcoat, pearl gray snap brim hat. Check. The entrance to the apartment is on the other side. Not facing the hospital. Yeah, check. Have you got enough? Oh, we can't miss. Is that all? That's all. Well, here we go. You're happy about it, aren't you? A buck is a dollar. How how long will you be? Fifteen minutes stops. So long, mister. No time to kill. Yeah, no time to kill. But fifteen minutes to murder. May I, Savetic? Ah, uh, come in. Well... <laughs> Having a rather hectic time of it, aren't you? That's going all right. Mm, let's just try your pulse. Right? I'm fine. Mm. You don't want to excite yourself too much, Savetic. I don't. Can't fool the pulse rate, you know. I'll settle down. Oh, I'm sure of it. In fact, I've signed your discharge. Miss Christopher will be up in a moment with your clothing in effect. I'm discharged? You'll be out of here in ten minutes. Well, fine. I won't see you again, so goodbye, sir. Goodbye, doctor. I lie in bed trying not to think, 
then trying to think of some way out for Benedict across the street. Fascinated, I stare at him across the way, preparing to clear out and walk right into those Tommy guns. Then I sit up sharply in bed. The man across the way is holding a pair of binoculars to his eyes, looking straight at me, it seems. I know they're binoculars, and I should have known he'd have binoculars with all that other sporting paraphernalia around. And then, all at once, I understand. I know. I'm not watching him. He's watching me. And if he is watching me, then my wire's probably been tapped and they know all about that call to the FBI. They wanted me to try that call. And I bit. I fell for the whole tricky trap to make me show my hand. I'm the dirty stool pigeon, unquote, that Rev Chinko hoped would reveal himself. I'm the patsy. Tag. I'm it. So that you're dead. Because here comes the nurse with my clothes and effects. So I can walk out of here. To be mowed down by gunsels that I've called myself. Oh, beautiful. Here you are, Mr. Spedick. Your thing. You can be out of here in ten minutes, we hope. Well, what's the rush? How about an hour? Oh, no. Dr. Anatole said ten minutes. Can I have half an hour? I'm afraid not. Why not? Well, there's another patient coming in in ten minutes. All right. Okay. Get down. You can have a wheelchair to the curb if you like. I don't like. Will there be a car waiting for you? Yeah. A big black sedan. Oh, fine. Yeah, fine. Get out. I get dressed. I look across the street. Benedict is gone. I go over to the window and draw the shade. But it doesn't mean anything now. They know I'm coming out and that I'm FBI. I try to think of how I can get out by other exits. Not that it matters. If they don't get me now, they'll get me later. Now would be better for them. It would be an example of quick, bold vengeance for other informers to notice. I'm dead, all right. But I have one small satisfaction. At least I wasn't putting the finger on a fellow FBI undercover man. And then the door snaps open and the big man who wasn't there is there. O'Neill, Matt. Driscoll. Driscoll it is, Matt. Let's get out of here fast. Where were you? I tried to call you at the FBI, but some strange voice answered. I know. You know? Yeah, I instructed him to accept calls for Driscoll from O'Neill. Well, I took a chance and talked some jabberwocky at him, hoping he'd catch on and trace the call back here to the hospital. Yeah, smart boy, Matt, and we're smart little fellas, too. Because that's how I knew you were in this room. Where have you been all the time? Two rooms down the corridor, watching that commie across the street. You, too? They told me he was an FBI agent they wanted to knock off. I thought I was killing our own man. You almost did. What? I'm the guy. But it's me they're after. They're going to mow me down in the street. They've been watching me, testing me. I'm dead. Look, I was watching him first, getting a line on the people who visit him. They caught on after two days and sent him to watch me. But they had to get the information about me from you. How do you know that? Well, look at me. Remember the clothes that gent across the street was wearing? Gray suit, gray tweed top coat, pearl gray hat, right? Yeah. Well, he was watching me and mimicking whatever significant things I did for you to see in report. By reporting on him, you were reporting on me. Thought of a carom shot. They're after me, Matt, not you. They trust you completely as of this assignment. Or they wouldn't have let you act for them. Now, look, you leave first, and I'll follow in five minutes. Watch out for that Dr. Anatole, though. Anatole? He's one of us. Oh, brother. Have I got a headache? Get going. Say, what about the killer car? It's on the way. Nah, it'll never get here. As soon as we found out where you were, thanks to your call, we put a tap on your phone. 
We've had Elmwood 41137 staked out for two days. Oh, then you've picked up those gunsels. Ten minutes ago, with all kinds of raps against them. They've all got records we can put them away for. Quite a haul, huh, man? Yeah. And you're in the clear. The Reds will blame me for everything. Nice haul. Terrific. Vacation in bed. Ha! <laughs> When I get downstairs, sure enough, no black sedan, bristling with Tommy guns. My head is still whirling, and it isn't blood pressure. It's pressure, all right, but not blood pressure. I shake my head to a taxi driver at the curb. Walk it off, Sovetic. Walk it off. Rest cure. Oh, sure. I ought to be resigned to the pressure by now. Resigned? Maybe. But there's no rest, and there's no peace. Just resignation to being marooned among enemies, forbidden from acknowledging my friends. I'm a communist for the FBI. I walk alone. will return in just a moment. This is Dana Andrews. I can drop my role of Matt Savetic after each show, but there's a real Matt Savetic from whose fantastic adventures these stories all stem. The story you've just heard happened in all its basic details. The constant, silent warfare between the FBI and the Communist Party never ceases. This story told one small phase of that bitter fight. Names, places, and incidents have been disguised naturally, but the spirit of fact remains untouched. Next week, another exciting adventure from the journal of Matt Savetic, who worked undercover for the FBI. It's a landmark in your listening, so mark it. See you then. was a communist for the FBI with 15 Minutes to Murder, starring Dana Andrews from June 7, 1953. Also heard in the cast, William Conrad, Elliot Lewis, Gerald Moore, and Virginia Gregg, with Truman Bradley announcing. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 32 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 32 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two exciting Western episodes of Fort Laramie, starring Raymond Burr, so don't miss it. 
To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune in to our next show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>